This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. If you're snacking on anything but tasty cake, you're making a huge miss cake. A fistful of chocolate-covered raisins? Miss cake. A spoonful of peanut butter? Bigger miss cake. Or the worst miss cake of all, your kid's Halloween candy, and it's April. If it's not tasty cake, it's a miss cake. Because nothing satisfies like a perfectly sweet butterscotch crimpet. Or rich and creamy chocolate peanut butter candy cake. Tasty cake. Except no substitute. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Billboard Charts. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Deputy Editor Digital. Hi, Katie. How are you? Doing great, Keith. How about yourself? I am... I am all right. Big music week. Big music week. Big, big music week. And luckily, this show is about music, so... (laughs) Hey! (laughs) Hey, it all works out. Uh, Because as always... The Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news on how Leave the Door Open, the debut song from Silk Sonic, the super duo of Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack jumps to number one on the Billboard Hot 100, how Justin Bieber's Justice album becomes his first multi-week number one on the Billboard 200 since 2010, and how Demi Lovato notches her highest charting album since 2015 on the Billboard 200 with the debut of her latest release, Dancing with the Devil, The Art of Starting Over. Plus, Taylor Swift released her re-recorded sophomore album, Fearless, Taylor's version, on Friday. And while it was super fun and very nostalgic to revisit the 2008 project, the real treat was getting six brand new From the Vault Taylor songs to dig through from that era. So we're going to take a deep dive into those half dozen new songs on today's show. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. All right, let's do the chat of the chart. Hmm. Uh, First up, Leave the Door Open by Silk Sonic, which is the duo of Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack, rises from number three to number one for its first week atop the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart. It's Mars' eighth number one and Anderson Pack's first. Door drew 21.5 million U.S. streams, which is actually up 13%, and sold 28,000, or nearly 29,000 copies, 
uh, downloads and CD singles, in fact, uh, up 138%, both in the week ending April 8th. And that's, of course, according to MRC data. Uh, the song also attracted 59.1 million in radio airplay audience impressions, which is up 9% in the week ending April 11th. Uh, the track is also an across-the-board hit. It's number two on the radio songs chart, number two on the digital song sales chart, and number three on the streaming songs chart. You know, sometimes songs hit number one on the Hot 100 with only, like, really robust performance like in one of those three metrics but leave the door open just is not one of those tracks Mm -hmm. well it's interesting actually because it's the kind of song that could have easily debuted at number one um but obviously it came the week that drake uh came out with three brand new songs that debuted at one two three probably much Um, to bruno's surprise yeah indeed (laughs) but at the same time if you look at bruno's track record he has had quite a few songs that have muscled their way up to number one after being out for a while. So it's not that surprising to see him gain in radio. And and also the song itself is very old school. So to have an old school trajectory to number one makes sense for it as well. Yeah. And in the world that we're in where so many things debut at number one, it's kind of old fashioned to see something take a whopping five weeks woo, to get to number one. (laughs) What a wait. Uh, I know, really. Uh, As for the rest of the top five on the latest Hot 100 chart, it's full of former number ones. Uh, Little Nas X's Montero, Call Me By Your Name, falls one to two in its second week on the chart. Justin Bieber's Peaches, featuring Daniel Caesar and Giveon, moves two to three in its third week. Cardi B's Up is a non-mover at number four. And Olivia Rodrigo's Driver's License is also steady at number five. Also, good news for Olivia Rodrigo as her new single, Deja Vu, debuts at number eight. And, and the- Sorry to cut you off. I just am yeah. really curious what would have happened if that had been a Friday at midnight release, you know, like the traditional New Music Friday is. But uh, but Olivia put it out on Thursday, so we lost a, a day, of, a little less than a day of tracking. So I, I'd be so curious to know what, we'll what might know. have been. We'll never know. Could have been so beautiful. Could have been so right. It's a Tiffany song, everybody, from (laughs) a billion years ago. Um, Well, there's also another new uh, visitor to the top 10 that's not a debut in the top 10 as Masked Wolf's breakthrough hit, Astronaut in the Ocean, rises 12 to 10. It's it's an exciting top 10 this week on the Hot 100. Yeah. Next, over on the Billboard 200 albums chart, Justin Bieber's Justice returns to number one scoring its second non-consecutive week atop the list and becomes his first multi-week number one album since 2010. Justice rises two to one on the chart in its third week, having earned 75,000 equivalent album units in the U.S. in the week ending April 8th. That's actually down 25%. Uh, As Justice notches a second week at number one, it's Beeb's first album to have more than just a single week at number one since 2010, when his first number one album, My World 2.0, spent four non-consecutive weeks atop the chart. Now, in total, Justin has eight number one albums. And the six number ones in between My World 2.0 and Justice all just spent one solitary week at number one. So I think this is, uh, you know, kind of one, you have this humongous hit in Peaches that's helping mm. this album. Um, but also, I think, you know, you know maybe... Uh, Team Justin must be pretty um, gratified to see, you know, the sort of the reception that this album is getting, you know, that, yeah. that it has gotten. Yeah. 
they might have been excited to see this next one at number one, too, that you're about to talk about. Well, yes, because uh, the the artist in number one and the artist in number two both share the same management. So at the end of the day, uh, the two of them, you know, the whole team, I'm sure, is thrilled. Everybody Uh, wins. Yeah. At number two uh, on the Billboard 200, Demi Lovato lands her highest charting album since 2015 as her new effort, Dancing with the Devil, The Art of Starting Over, debuts at number two. It's also her seventh consecutive top five charting album, which is the entirety of her charting albums on the chart. So all of her albums that she's released that have charted have all reached the top five on the chart. And the number two debut of the album surpasses the number three peak of her last release, which was 2017's Tell Me You Love Me. And it matches the number two peak of the album before that, which was 2015's Confident. Dancing uh, dances into the chart with 74,000 equivalent album units earned. And of that sum, 38,000 comprise album sales, which makes it the top selling album of the week. And most of the rest of the total of that 74,000 is derived from streaming activity of the songs on the album. Uh, The album was actually supported by the four episode YouTube Originals documentary Demi Lovato Dancing with the Devil, which premiered on March 23rd. And collectively, the episodes have garnered over 30 million global views on YouTube. The dancing album also got a boost from the availability of a Target-exclusive CD edition of the set that had some bonus tracks. There was even a signed CD that Demi sold on her website. Uh, And there were also multiple collectible covers and even two different deluxe digital editions of the album. Uh, Exciting week for Justin and for Demi on the Billboard 200. Yeah, and it also broke last week that um, there will be a music video for uh, Demi and Ariana Grande's duet from that album oh. uh, for Met Him Last Night. I feel like that's going to give the album one more huge boost when, when that comes out as well. I wonder what it's going to look like. Have they teased anything about it yet? Oh, my God. I don't. I know. I do not know. I've not seen video. Uh, I don't even know if they've shot it. They just said there will be a video. So, you know, I, um, I, to come. I, I was... I was hoping the first time I heard it that it was going to be like a big dance floor banger, and it's not that. Um, but it, I just, it'll be really, it'll just be fun to see them together and like what, yes. what will the imagery look like and will they be together? And I don't know. It'll be, yes. it'll be super interesting. See, and listening back, because I know we talked about it on last week's show, but listening back to it for me, I feel like the best part about it is how it um, accentuates what each of them does really well. Like they don't, they're not like um, working in each other's styles at all. They're very distinctly themselves, and yet they blend really nicely. So I uh, I really enjoy that. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, as, as a side note, I think sometimes um, as fans of music and as fans of certain artists, we often think like, oh, what would it be like if our, our faves got together? And then sometimes you then have to think, wait, do they actually, like, will they work well together? Mm-hmm. Will they blend well together? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's really hard to navigate. And that's why sometimes a lot of artists who may be fans of each other never actually work together because artistically it just doesn't pan out correctly. Right. But, but you know, you're saying here that you believe that it actually kind of really worked well and they meshed well together. Yeah, I mean, in addition to just the harmony sounding incredible because they both have these powerhouse voices, you know, Ari does her sort of like pseudo hip hop pop thing where she's kind of rap singing a little bit in the verses. But Demi doesn't match that. She does her own singing style on her verses. You know what I mean? So they're not playing in each other's sandboxes. They're both just like killing it, doing what they do best. And it just works together, I think. Yeah. 
Um, and speaking of great music, last Friday, <laughs> the moment. What a segue. We... What a segue, Katie. <laughs> speaking of the... music, um, <laughs> last Friday. <laughs> uh, the moment that we've been talking about since 2019 finally arrived. Uh, Taylor Swift released her re-recorded sophomore album, Fearless, Taylor's version. And in addition to hearing new versions of the songs we already know and love, we also got six fresh tracks from that era that hit the cutting room floor at the time, but are now finally seeing the light of day. And honestly, it sort of feels like we got a brand new Taylor EP along with the re-recorded Fearless, thanks to these From the Vault songs. So, um, you know, for me, that was the most exciting part of last week was uh, not only getting to like kind of listen to Fearless over again for the first time, but also getting these these brand new songs from that era. Um, So I thought maybe we could take a deep dive into those six songs. And I figured the easiest way to start would be to talk about the two that we heard before the release. Um, The very first one was You All Over Me, which features Marin Morris. So let's take a little bit of a listen to that. But no amount of freedom gets you clean. I've still got you all over me. All right. So, um, you know, I took a lot of notes on these. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try not to be too hardcore. I also, I, I made notes on all of these songs um, about who they were written with and produced by, because those are kind of interesting factoids as well. Um, this one was co-written by Scooter Caruso, who is a country songwriter that, uh, you know, Taylor was definitely put with as a teenager. So this was definitely who she co-wrote it with back, you know, in the day. And it's mm-hmm. co-produced by Aaron Dessner of The National, who produced uh, her most recent two albums, Folklore and Evermore. So it's very much like a, a pairing of her two worlds. But the past um, and the present collide. Absolutely. Um, so speaking, since we were just talking about Demi and Ari and how their styles went so well together, I mean, the first note that I had on this one was just how lovely Marin's harmonies sound with Taylor's voice. I mean, it's just, it's a great vocal match. And it's, um, you know, this is called featuring Marin Morris, but it is truly, you know, a background vocal on the chorus. And it's just a lovely meshing of, of their vocals and kind of brings home, you know, the fact that this Fearless was a country album. So Taylor's bringing in a true country star to, uh, to, you know, revisit this time in, in her career. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. When, when I was, when I was listening to it, um, I was kind of shocked that Marin wasn't more kind of forward. Prominent. Yeah, it is true. It is like what you said. It is truly, you know, she is really there as a supporting background vocalist. And um, again, it's a nod to the the songs and that era's whole country roots. But it's also fitting that, you know, it's that full circle moment on, you know, all these tracks, as I'm sure others have pointed out, the fact that, you know, they were written in an era where Taylor was firmly part of Nashville not that she isn't now but she was still she was then a very country artist yeah and you know now she's working with the the, all the folks that she worked with on folklore and evermore which are of the sort of Americana uh you know folk variety which isn't that far away from country music anyway so the fact that those two worlds can be kind of bridged together on this project um I think you know kind of makes perfect sense Totally. And uh, I also, my other notes on this was 
uh, you know, you hear that title, You All Over Me, and you kind of expect it to be maybe this, like, sultry song, uh, you, forgetting for a second that this woman was, you know, 18, 19 when she was making this album, mostly. You know, but some you, 18-year-olds are super sultry, Katie. That's true. This is true. <laughs> um, but instead, the wordplay, which, of course, is such a natural thing, the wordplay is that it's like, you're all over me, like this lingering feeling that I can't, you know, get rid of, that I can't shake or whatever. It's totally, you know. She couldn't it, shake it, it off. She couldn't shake it off. And interestingly, also, you know, having Aaron Dustner as a producer, this one, to me, I understand why they released it first as the From the Vault songs, because to me, it matches the production of Fearless the closest. And it even if you revisit the song Breathe um, with Colby Calais from the album, you listen to the beginning, um, you know, guitar, and it and it almost makes you realize that's probably why it didn't make the album, because it's so similar to Breathe that mm. they probably had to choose between them. Um, so it's like you get this super similar treat. It's not identical, but, um, uh, you know, it just sounds it sounds like a fearless song. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, the second one, probably the more talked about of the lead from the vault tracks, was Mr. Perfectly Fine. Um, and we'll take a little listen to that. So this one uh, was co-produced by Jack Antonoff. And I should say Taylor Swift co-wrote and co-produced every single song. So when I say co-wrote, co-produced, Taylor is the person that is co-with. This one uh, was clearly talked about, I said, uh, you know, ahead of time, because this is the one that people go back to the days of like uh, the very autobiographical Taylor Swift songwriting. And uh, people are pretty certain that this one was about her uh, previous relationship with Joe Jonas. I was going to say, is it allegedly about Joe Jonas or does yeah. we don't it's, know for sure though. It hasn't come out of Taylor's mouth, but she did when she introduced the track, she, she sort of played into it by saying, you know, Oh, I'm over here writing these fictional songs. Now let me just throw this bomb real quick back into the world. When I, <laughs> you, you know, used to write very specifically and uh, then I'm going to run away and hide. Um, but even Joe Jonas's wife, uh, Game of Thrones actress Sophie Turner, even she kind of acknowledged that this song is clearly about her husband. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, it's out there. Uh, but setting aside that that aspect of it, this one is very tongue in cheek, very sarcastic. Um, lots and e- lots of wordplay happening here. Oh, yes. Of, yeah. And even the the way she sings is sarcastic, which sort of reminded me. I mean, it reminded me of a lot of um, sassy Taylor songs from the past. But um, the ones I specifically uh, wrote down were Picture to Burn, Mean, and even as recently as Lover, um, I Forgot That You Existed, the number one, the, the lead song on that on that album. It's basically, it shows how easily Taylor's always been able to kind of imbue some attitude into her singing. Um, Mm -hmm. And it makes sense, obviously, from this time period to sound sort of sassy, maybe a little bratty even, because she's a teenager. So, you know, it makes sense. Um, But she's saying it as a grown woman and she, you know, did it, you know, total justice for what she probably was going through as a, as a 19 year old at the time. So sorry, Joe Jonas. (laughs) All right, moving on to the next track. We have We Were Happy, which is the first contribution from um, the from the Vault tracks that is uh, featuring, actually not featuring, has background vocals from Keith Urban. Um, there's another song that is featuring him, but this one just has background vocals. This was co-written by Liz Rose, 
co-produced by Aaron Dessner. Um, it's another moment of Keith harmonizing with Taylor. Uh, total swoon for me. I think it is a perfect match. Made me really wonder what maybe a full, you know, joint project between the two of them might sound like. I don't know if that was something that you thought too, Keith. Shall we take a listen to it first since we're talking about it? Let's take a listen. Such the way we laughed in the dark Talking about your daddy's farm You were gonna marry me um, Well, first thing I thought of when we started when I because this this track came before the track that actually gives Keith Urban featured credit. Yeah. So as I was listening to this song and I heard the harmony vocal, I thought, well, who's that singing with her? Because it's a really prominent harmony vocal. And then I dug through the credits and I saw, oh, it's Keith Urban doing background, but he doesn't get credit as the featured artist. That's odd. Um, but I thought, like, you know, wow how great that Keith Urban is just the backing vocalist on this track because, you know, it's 2021 and that could only happen with a Taylor Swift, Keith Urban record. Totally. Um, but I also immediately thought, I'm like, wow, this is a sad song. <laughs> it's just, yeah. that's the first thing I thought of. I'm like, good gosh, this is just a, just sad, but beautiful, you know? Yeah. It's almost, it's kind of dreamy a little bit. I mean, it's a very like, um, you know, country love story. They're, you know, looking back at a relationship that didn't work out, but then dreaming of buying daddy's farm one day. Yeah. And, you know, um, but yes, very beautiful. And uh, it just made me think when I was thinking about them together, Keith and Taylor, um, it just made me think how both of them have done so well of playing in the country and the pop worlds. And so it's like Keith kind of drags yeah. her back to the country a little bit, but I'd, I could see if they worked a little more together, her dragging him a little more pop like he's been with Carrie Underwood on the fighter but on that next song uh-huh. um that's when which has the full Keith Urban credit let's take a listen to that first so this one was co-written uh with Brad and Brett Warren and co-produced by Jack Antonoff our first the Warren appearance. brothers everybody Yes, the Warrens. Um, no, it really that's that they yes. the Warren Brothers. Yes. <laughs> this to me, this is this is a country hit song, and it makes me feel like that's why she invited Keith to be a part of this one because, like, I feel like country radio should definitely play this one. That that was my first thought hearing it. Yeah, well, but we, I mean, that remains to be seen. But I was also thinking if this did end up being a country radio hit. How amazing would it be that in 2021, Jack Antonoff produced a country radio hit? I love that idea. <laughs> you know, they, they, all bets are off in 2021. Indeed. I mean, and he's, we're... oh, I was just going to say, Jack's quite versatile. Uh, he actually also co-produced the last two songs that we're going to talk about. And it's sort of an interesting progression because, well, like I said, with the first song sounding the most like a fearless song, it's like these last two definitely veer more into Taylor and Jack's current day sound a little mm-hmm. bit i would say um so moving on to um uh the second to last of the of the six songs we have uh don't you um so let's take a listen to that but don't you don't you smile at me and ask me how i've been okay this don't one was co-written by tommy lee james and as i mentioned co-produced with jack antonoff um, this one to me is just like I heard it and I'm like, it's this is a 1989 
or a reputation deep cut. Not, you know, not fearless. It's, 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 she got to take a song from that era of her career and reinterpret it as her current artistic self, basically. It's, it's a fascinating thing to be able to hear an artist do. You know? I wonder how many songs does Taylor Swift have lying around? I mean, that's the real question. And I also have a lot of questions in general about, you know, what did this song sound like when it was a rough demo or whatever back in 2008, as opposed to, I wondered if, if all of these songs had full productions at the time or whether they were just, you know, vocal demos or what they were and what they became, you know, and only Taylor knows that, but I want to know all of it. (laughs) I want like Taylor, we're available. Give us a ring. Uh, Um, And this one, uh, if you went to Billboard.com and saw um, Jason Lipschitz's article that ranked all the From the Vault songs last week, uh, this was his number one. And I think it's his number one because this one could be a current Taylor Swift hit today. I'm assuming that's what he based that on, you know? Mm, Okay. I I assume. And then our final song uh, is Bye Bye Baby. So it's an appropriate title for a final song. Um, So let's take a, a listen to that one. Not to be confused with the Madonna track, Deep Cut Bye Bye Baby from the Erotica album, of course. Or what is it? Bay City Rollers? Bye bye, baby, baby, bye bye. Wow. (laughs) Don't know that one. Madonna's went bye bye, baby, bye bye. It's your turn to cry. So, I mean, I can't, they're all in the same realm of how many times you say bye bye and baby next to one another. But anyway, continue, Katie. Sorry. Uh, um, The one big note that I had, other than, once again, this is co produced by Jack Antonoff, it's co written by Liz Rose. Um, I, I noted in the lyrics the line, you took me home, but you just couldn't keep me. And it made me, it sounded like, like Taylor was like a stray kitten or something <laughs> that some guy like took home to like give shelter. <laughs> That's that what that line made me think of. But it's it, to me another song that it's like, wow, how did this end up on the cutting room floor in the first place? It's another it's another super solid song. Um, it, it, yes, to your point, how many songs has Taylor been holding out on us with? She she this 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 whole this whole thing reminds me of kind of. And I'm expecting that your opinion would 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 be similar. This reminds me of when we talked about Mariah Carey's, um, you know, Rarities album that came out last year. And, mm. you know, there are those those songwriters that just have these songs in a vault and they, for whatever reason, chose not to put them on whatever project was contemporary at the time, but they saved them and they put them out in a project. And you're like, really, you've been sitting on these for that long? Right. Like, to, to anyone else... So like to you that you may think of them as castoffs or songs that didn't make it or orphans or whatever, but to the rest of us we're like, well, gosh, it could be good enough for a whole new album. Basically. Oh, that's somebody else's, yeah, Stone Cold Smash hit for sure. Right, your 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 leftover or your thing that didn't make the album is like what people dream about that they could write. <laughs> it's someone else's one hit wonder. <laughs> yeah, and now it's time for the chart stat of the week. There comes a time. When we heed a certain call, when the world must come together. This week in 1985, the all-star charity single, We Are the World, hit number one on the Hot 100 chart, the first of four weeks atop the list. 
It moved to number one on the list dated April 13th, 1985. The song, written by Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie, who also both performed on the track, was recorded in Los Angeles following the American Music Awards broadcast in order to capture as many A-list singers as possible that happened to be in the city at the show or, you know, thereabouts. The track raised millions of dollars to fight famine in Africa and was revisited in another all-star recording in 2010, We Are the World 25 for Haiti, to raise funds to benefit survivors of the massive earthquake that year in Haiti. So Katie, it's now Quiz Katie time. Uh Uh-oh. I don't know if you had read far enough in advance in in the script. Oh, great. (laughs) Well, there were a galaxy of stars on We Are the World in 1985, but which of the following artists did not sing on the track? Hmm. Okay. Al Jarreau, Lindsey Buckingham, LaToya Jackson, or Prince? Prince. It's kind of an easy one if I you knew know this the one. history. <laughs> I, it's, it's almost a gimme. Yes, Prince indeed was not on the track, but he was invited to be a part of it. But he, for uh, a reason I do not know, uh, declined or could not make the recording session. However, he did end up contributing a song for the We Are The World album, uh, which was released and was a number one album on the Billboard 200 chart. So Prince still was part of the USA for Africa project. He just was not on we Are the World, the song itself. So there you have it. This week in 1985, We Are the World hit number one on the Hot 100. All right. We've reached the end of our uh, swift-filled show. <laughs> um, any any parting words, Katie? Man, Keith, did you hear this new song by Gwen Stefani and Saweetie this week? I I did, in fact, uh, slow clap. I believe it's like it's like such a like a fun little like hollowback girl throwback uh, sort of song. I kind of love that Gwen's like, "F it, I'm just revisiting, you know, various eras of my career. I'm gonna have fun." And Saweetie is like such a perfect, you know, pink haired addition to her crew. Feels like you almost want us to go out on this song. Katie. Maybe I do. Uh, we'll go out on slow clap, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye. If you're snacking on anything but tasty cake, you're making a huge Miss Cake. A fistful of chocolate-covered raisins? Miss Cake. A spoonful of peanut butter? Bigger Miss Cake. Or the worst Miss Cake of all, your kid's Halloween candy, and it's April. If it's not tasty cake, it's a Miss Cake. Because nothing satisfies like a perfectly sweet butterscotch crimpet. Or rich and creamy chocolate peanut butter candy cake. Tasty Cake. Accept no substitute. Shoots.